If there is a God, what does he want from you? Is it to submit, to obey his rules? Yeah, sign me up for some of that, right? Is it to be holy and righteous? What does that even mean? Like, does it mean doing good things? And if so, like, how do we measure if we've done enough good things to do what God wants us to do? See, maybe we've missed something. Maybe what God wants from us isn't what we think it is. So, let's talk about it together. So what does God want from us? Honestly, I think many of us think that all God wants from us is to stay clean by following his rules. See, the problem is, we're a mess. We know it. You're a mess. I'm a mess. And that person living with you is definitely a mess. And we think that God only likes and chooses those who, who stay clean and, and follow the rules. And we know, since we're a mess, that that's not us. And so we feel guilty. We feel rejected. And we either try harder to be good and follow the rules, and then feel even more guilt that we just can't seem to get things right, or we finally have had enough, and we just give up. Or even worse than those two, we convince ourselves that since we follow the certain rules that we think are important, that we now are the clean ones that God likes, and we subtly, maybe even subconsciously, look down on those messy people that God obviously doesn't like as much as us. But think about it. Do rules really clean anything up? See, there's rules and laws against stealing and, and murder and hor whole, a whole bunch of other horrible things. But they still happen, don't they? See, rules don't clean us up. They only bring consequences and guilt. And to avoid those consequences and guilt, we get really good at hiding and justifying ourselves and, and blaming others and, and finding loopholes. So like, oh, it wasn't that bad. See, rules don't fix anything. They only show us what a mess we are when we don't follow the rules. Which is why when Adam and Eve, which we talked about in the last episode, made such a mess of things and brought sin into the world, God didn't give them a list of rules in order for them to get their act together. He promised a solution, a real solution. He promised to wade into the mess and fix it himself. And so he starts his mission of fixing in one of the messiest chapters of human history, ancient Bronze Age Mesopotamia. But he didn't start by creating a list of rules. He decided, he decided to start his cleanup with a family, with a nation, with, with a nation that would display his love and his character to the world. But strangely, God picks, not like a young hero that we would expect, he picks some unknown 75 and 65-year-old couple who couldn't have kids. And what we're going to see is, as we look at this story of God interacting with, with these two people, we're going to see that God doesn't use rules to clean us. He offers a relationship to restore us. The Lord had said to Abram, Leave your native country, your relatives, and your father's family, and go to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you and make you famous, and you will be a blessing to others. I will bless those who bless you and curse those who treat you with contempt. 
all the families on earth will be blessed through you. So Abram departed as the Lord had instructed, and Lot went with him, his nephew. And Abram was 75 years old when he left Haran. See, God chooses a guy named Abram to be his, his starting point to fix the mess of sin. He promises to do all these different things for him, to make him famous. Maybe you've heard of a guy named Abraham before. We'll get to why his name's Abraham. God kept his promise, right? He's, he's famous. And he promised, God promises to fulfill his promise to Adam and Eve that we talked about in the last episode again, the offspring that would come and fix this mess. He said, Abram, I'm choosing you to be the one that I'm going to bring that offspring through, through you. Why? What did Abram do to deserve like this huge thing? He is the father, Abraham, the father of three major world religions, one of the most famous people in human history. What did he do to deserve this, to deserve this gift, this blessing from God? He's probably like super holy and, and righteous, right? No. Like there is no indication that there's anything special about Abram. In fact, what I just read to you is really the first time we hear about him at all. See, God didn't pick Abram because he followed rules. There, were, there weren't even any rules yet. This is hundreds and years before there were even like the Ten Commandments. God chose Abram because he wanted to. See, God made the first move. It's basically how he always starts a relationship. God makes the first move toward us, always. And get this, he didn't make these promises dependent on Abram following any rules. But we, like, we always feel like it's the other way around, right? Like if we follow the rules and God will do something for us. We expect God to say like, Abram, I'm picking you to be my guy. You're welcome. Yes, great. Now, please stop. Please grovel. Yeah, okay, a little more. Groveling, good. Okay, that's enough for now. So here's what you're going to need to do, Abram, if we're actually going to do this. If, you, if you, I'm going to start my family through you, you're going to need to clean up a bit. So rule number one, but he doesn't do that. Right? Instead, he says, I'm picking you. I'm going to bless you. I'm going to make you famous. I'm going to bless the whole world through you and your offspring, whether you like it or not. See, God bases relationships on his love for us, not rules. And so Abram goes. He, he says, okay, uh, God just spoke to me. I think we need to do what he says. Abram goes, but it's not all like rosy and happy. He goes to the land God shows him. Uh, he does some stuff there. But then there's a famine, and so he goes down to Egypt. But while he's in Egypt, he gets in trouble because his wife's really pretty, and the Pharaoh really likes her, and so he doesn't want to get killed so that Pharaoh can marry his wife. So he lies and says that his wife is his sister. Very odd, but then things happen. Pharaoh finds out. Abraham, Abram, goes back north to the promised land, and his nephew, Lot, then leaves him. They had been traveling together. Leaves him for better land. But then his nephew gets caught up in some territorial wars, and he and his family get captured. So Abram, being the tribal leader he is, fights this brutal Bronze Age battle to rescue his nephew and his family. And after all of this, he's probably exhausted. He's definitely old. He has no secure home, no really family, no kids at all. He's not feeling very blessed. Sometime later, the Lord spoke to Abram in a vision and said to him, do not be afraid, Abram, for I will protect you and your reward will be great. But Abram replied, O sovereign Lord, what good are all your blessings when I don't even have a son? Since you've given me no children, Eleazar of Damascus, a servant in my household, will inherit all my wealth. You have given me no descendants of my own, so one of my servants will be my heir. 
Abram, the guts in this guy, right? He says, God, I get it. Like, you know, you said this, but you said you'd do all these things. You said I'd be a nation that a nation that would bless everyone through this huge family you're going to give me. But my wife and I aren't getting any younger. I'm probably going to die in some Bronze Age battle. Uh, I want to believe you, but there's no evidence that you're actually going to keep this promise. Then the Lord said to him, No, your servant will not be your heir, for you will have a son of your own who will be your heir. Then the Lord took Abram outside and said to him, Look up into the sky. And this is like before any lights. So look up into the sky and count the stars if you can. That's how many descendants you will have. See, God says, look, Abram, I know. I, he doesn't need to like yell at him for doubting God. Very interesting. We'll talk about that in the next episode. But God says, look, I know that it might seem crazy, but you will have a son. And your future offspring out of this son will be the one I promised, will be the one I promised to send and to fix this whole mess of humanity. And so Abram had a choice. Believe God or believe his feelings and really his, his logic, right? He knew he and his wife were well beyond the age to conceive a baby and raise it. But instead, Abram chose to trust God. And then something happened. Something really so crucial that if we miss it, we'll never really discover who God truly is. In fact, it's so simple, all major religions have missed it. And often at times, Christianity has missed this too. And missing this next sentence that I'm going to read might be what turns you off from church and religion. Missing this might be why you still think God only wants you if you clean up first. Missing this might be why you feel burdened by guilt. So when I read this, remember, this is hundreds of years before any commandments, no Ten Commandments. This is before any Bible was written, any scripture was written, before any rules were written down. And Abram believed the Lord, and the Lord counted him as righteous because of his faith. Abram believed God. He chose to trust him, chose to trust his promise. And in that moment, because of one single choice to trust, God declared him righteous. Meaning, God gave him his stamp of approval. God gave him a perfect standing with him. God said, everything you've done, Abram, everything you will do is forgiven. Your mess is clean. In fact, you are clean. Our relationship, Abram, is fully restored. See, this is like the most important point in discovering who God is. Complete reconciliation with God comes from a single act of trust. This trust isn't always easy, but it is a simple choice that we all face. Then, after God declared him righteous, he changed his name from Abram, which meant exalted father, to Abraham, meaning the father of of many showing like you this promise will be fulfilled and even after this it wasn't all sunshine and roses abram abraham now still had to wait many years for his son his trust wasn't always perfect he still messed up and lied about his wife another time he still had a lot to learn about god he still had a lot of lessons to learn which is kind of how it always is for all of us right but god never went back on his promise eventually they did have a son isaac 
and through him came the Jewish nation, and through the Jewish nation came the promised offspring, Jesus. In fact, Paul kind of sums up this whole idea in his letter to the Romans. Abraham was, humanly speaking, the founder of our Jewish nation. What did he discover about being made right with God? If his good deeds had made him acceptable to God, he would have, he would have had something to boast about. But that was not God's way. For the scriptures tell us Abraham believed God and God counted him as righteous because of his faith. When people work, their wages are not a gift, but something they have earned. But people are counted as righteous, not because of their work, but because of their faith in God who forgives sinners. See, remember, God doesn't use rules to clean us. He offers a relationship to restore us, a relationship that's based on trust. That is who God is. We live, like we talked about, we live in the mess sin created. The, the mess we were born into, born into sin, and the mess we've made ourselves, and the mess others have made. And we want to clean it up. And so we try to. We try to fix it. We, we, we try to do things to, to clean ourselves up. And all we do is just make things more complicated, which is why there's so many religions and so many philosophies and so many different rules that we think will, will make us better. We feel like we have to perform it at some level that God actually never asked us to f- perform at in the first place, which may be why you're watching and listening, like you feel far from God and you're trying to get back or maybe even discover God for the first time. And you're asking, what does God want from me? Like, what do I have to do to, to be close to God? What rules do I have to follow to be good with God? And God says, it's simple. Just trust me. He says, I love you. I want a relationship with you. Sin has separated us, but I came to restore our relationship. I sent Jesus to restore our relationship. I conquered the ultimate separation, death, by rising again. So to be restored, all you have to do is trust me. But for some reason, we say, no, (laughs) what? No, that's too easy. No, I have to earn it, right? I have to feel like really bad about what I did. I need to say the right prayers, probably give some money, go to church enough times during the month, do everything I can to kind of squeak by so that you like me. And God's like, no, just trust me. And we're like, no, no, God. Like, no, God, I know. You're mad at me. I know it. Oh, you're so harsh and judgmental, God. Listen, it's not that complicated. God is pursuing you, and he is only asking that you trust him. See, and then, once we make that choice to trust, he starts transforming our hearts. We begin displaying his love to others, not because we're afraid of being punished or or rejected by him, but because we're getting to God's heart. We're getting to know God's heart, getting closer to God's heart, and can't help but love others because he's loved us. I mean, think about it. If you were on a a boat in the middle of the ocean and and it sunk and you're hanging on to pieces of wood or debris that's keeping you afloat. And the Coast Guard comes and they say, hey, let go and grab onto this this rope or this um, life preserver ring. Would you be like, no, that's too easy. And you try to swim to the shore yourself. I mean, you might, if you're a good swimmer, you might make it further than others. But no matter how great you think you are, you still aren't strong enough to go from the middle of the Atlantic to the coast. See, would you, would you say, no, no, that's too easy. Or would you just trust them? And let them do the work to save you. See, in that situation, one single act of trust will rescue you. It's the same 
with God. See, when we're under pressure, it's easy and, and natural to try to take things into our own hands. It's not always easy to trust God, to trust his promises. But that trust is where our relationship with God becomes real. That's where our relationship with God thrives is when we're choosing to trust. And so we start trusting him with all of our life. See, when we make, when we make that single act of trust, then we're free to trust him with everything else. Like when our finances aren't what we want them to be. We know we can trust that he actually cares for us and that he will provide for our needs. When we're worried about our kids and whatever they're doing, we can trust that he's pursuing them. He's initiating with them as he does with everyone else that he's done with us. When we're hurt by others, we can trust that God is with us and that he will defend us in his perfect justice. So the question really is, will you trust God's promise? Will you trust that he will restore and perfect your relationship with him through a single, simple choice to trust? Maybe you've never heard it put that way. And maybe for the first time, you're like, yeah, I choose that trust. And maybe you, you have made that decision and things, life has happened. Maybe we need to continue to rely on that promise that we, one single act of trust has made us right with God and allow that to grow your trust with all the parts of your life now. Like, will you say, you know, it might sound impossibly easy and it might not make total sense right now. And even though I still have questions, I'm going to trust what you say, God, is true and that you will do what you promise to do. And so I recommend for this week for our homework, to read Romans 4, 1 through 5, the passage I read by Paul. Read that. See what that really means about who God is and how we can be right with him. And really, you could read the whole chapter of Romans 4. It talks all about that. And when you're ready, if you're ready, after you read that, say, God, I trust you. I trust you. And the next time life makes you want to freak out, or you feel like you don't measure up, or you feel guilty, or you feel far from God, remember, you can say, I trust you. You said you wouldn't leave me. You said you wouldn't cast me away. I trust you. Things don't make sense right now. The world's falling apart. My marriage is not where I want it to be. But I trust you. So think about it. What if everything we feel like we had to do to make God happy really isn't from God. What if it is so simple that we've missed it? That even, even though it's been there the whole time, what if we could clear away all the complicated rules and, and our attempts at soothing our guilt and just enjoy the relationship God is offering each of us? What if it really does only take one single act of trust? What if simply saying, I trust you, is enough? It was enough for Abraham, and God promises that it's enough for you. See, trust really is enough. So to answer our question, what does God want from you? Nothing. God wants a restored and trusting relationship for you. This is put out by Cross Creek Community Church. We are a church physically located in Salem. 
we meet at Gateway Foursquare Church on Idlewood Drive on the second and fourth Sundays of the month. We're very excited about our May 8th get together. We'll be gathering in our usual way, but it's Mother's Day. So happy Mother's Day, moms. We're gonna be providing dinner for moms and families. We're really excited about the menu that's coming out on May 8th. We're also gonna sing some songs, take communion together, and there'll be a short message, but it's just a great time to gather together. We hope you have a fabulous, fabulous May, and we'll see you soon. Together.